Welcome to the Big Freedom Show. I'm one of your hosts, Charlie Thompson. With me, as always, the King himself, John King, and Nate Thurston. We got a lot of action coming at you guys today. We're excited to be here. Nate brought the whiskey of the week this week, and we are pumped about that. Yeah. Man, yeah, I I went right before we got here, and this guy at the store was like, man, you need to try some of this Blom Brothers Nodder Rye. And uh, especially I, compared to last week, this is tasty. It is. It's a hundred proof, which means it's fifty percent alcohol, and I, <laughs> I think it's going pretty good so far. Uh, what do you guys like it? You guys are more in the I whiskey like, than I, I like am, it. So I'm not big into rye, but I like this rye. What do you think, Chuck? I'm, what's weird is I'm right with you, John. I'm not a huge rye person, but actually, the color of this whiskey doesn't look very rye to me. But it tastes, you can see a little rye on the front end, but it's, I think it's delicious. Okay, so huge improvement since last week. It is not larceny bourbon. Yeah, that's the worst. Around the table, one out of ten, Charlie. I'll give it an eight. For rye, um, my first one, so it's a ten. I'm going to go with a nine. It's, it's solid. So uh, go grab yourself a bottle of Blom Brothers. And that's been this week's Whiskey, Whiskey of the Week. week. <laughs> Got right, it. guys. We're going to dive right in, and we want to just let you know a little bit about who we are. You've probably listened to a couple episodes. If you haven't, maybe this is your first one. Great episode to listen to because we want to tell you what the Big Freedom Show is all about, what we believe in. And we're going to start off by saying the three of us here, we have a few differences of opinion, which is good. Um, But overall, what we believe is that the freer a person and society can be, the more opportunity everyone has to be successful. We're just three normal guys. We believe in freedom and liberty. We want to share. We want to stir a movement. We want to get people excited. Uh, Milton Friedman once said, the great virtue of a free market system is that it does not care what color people are. It does not care what their religion is. It only cares whether they can produce something you want to buy. It is the most effective system we have discovered to enable people who hate one another to deal with one another and help one another. I like that. That's pretty good. I love Milton Friedman. There's some great videos on YouTube. If, if anyone, if the you pencil. haven't, the pencil, that was so good. Um, and then when he was on the, the Donahue show and he, uh, he gave the talk about, you know, what is greed that, uh, you know, that whole talk, just look it up on YouTube. If you haven't listened to Milton Friedman. Yeah, he was a, or he is, uh, or was, uh, he did pass Milton Friedman rest his soul but he did uh he was a nobel prize winning economist for that. <laughs> he, <laughs> he was a nobel winning uh nobel prize winning economist he served uh reagan and he made a lot of good points wrote a book called free to choose and really what he his whole essence of his existence revolving around economics was telling people like look you can look throughout over 2,000 years of recorded history, the only system devised by man that has allowed the most amount of people to succeed in life is a, a capitalist free market system. And that's what we believe here at the Big Freedom Show. I think it really shows a lot about how America, the way that we started with this free market, we were one of the first countries to really embrace just your your freedom to create your own business, to create your own product, to sell things to your neighbor and to build yourself up from nothing into a really big deal. And you can see the U.S., we really had a a boom that 
you know, we brought the rest of the world with us, but we had the the big economic boom that brought tons of uh, inventions, all kinds of innovation. A lot of that came from our free market system. And uh, I think that that's something that people lose after a amount of time. They think, okay, well, we built it up to this. Now let's tax it to death. But um, it was the free For market that brought we, us we here. we forget what worked. Yeah. <laughs> something <laughs> let's, worked. Let's come up with something so, new. <laughs> something took us from nothing into the, you know, the world superpower or whatever you want to call it. And then once we get to that point, we're like, oh, Mate, okay, well, what can we do? This has been working for far too long. It, it, it we has need a new been. plan. <laughs> we got to destroy it. <laughs> but I saw a, an amazing video today. And if you think about it this way, right, because in a free market, what happens is, is the two people who make a voluntary transaction, they both get richer. I saw a great video today where the guy started out by saying, you know, he went to the coffee shop this morning and when the barista handed him his coffee, he said, thank you. And the barista in return said, thank you. Now, usually in, in today... <laughs> Thank you is followed up with you're welcome. But in a free market where you're purchasing a good from someone, you say thank you because you became richer. And that person says thank you because they became richer. Even though the the money in your hand that you exchanged had a value to it and the coffee that you received had a value to it, you exchanged them voluntarily and you both became richer people because of it. And that's because you valued the coffee more than you valued the money or you wouldn't have bought it in the first place. That's the great thing about a free market. And the barista valued the money more than they valued the coffee. And they wouldn't have sold it to you and unless that was the case. And that's, more than they valued their time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's the best thing. It works out. Every person wins in every transaction in a voluntary free market transaction, everyone gets what they want. It's beautiful. And it's like, to contrast this, governments, when you talk about the flip side of a free market, which would be a socialist state or a communist state where the government controls production or the government controls healthcare and things like that, what you're talking about is the only way the government can do that is by acts of coercion, by force, because the government doesn't produce anything. So for them to to do these things, they have to forcibly take your property to give it out to other people. And that brings me to another point that we believe here at the Big Freedom Show, which is the simple principle of self-ownership. And it derives from property rights. So if you look at what the founders did when they set up America, right, when believing in liberty and freedom, is that it all surrounded on basic property rights, which means I own myself, I own my belongings, I own my property, I own the fruits of my labor, the things that I produce. And so with that, voluntary transactions is what became the market rather than, you know, before there was, it was a feudal society where the king controlled everything and only certain people got things and there were peasants and, you know, he he's the one that decided and instead it became a voluntary transaction that's what made america great because voluntary transactions are the only thing that is actually moral are you saying that you want to make america great uh, again again is that what you're saying right now i do want to make please america don't be saying that right now <laughs> no i want to i love actually love the slogan get make out america. of my studio no, charlie i love the slogan make america i'm great taking again. your truck now go but but Within that, Make America Great Again has nothing to do with the government making more policies. It has no. everything to do nope. with the government getting tariffs. smaller. It's yeah. only tariffs. That's it. We That's have. What, yeah. We, we, we talked about that last time, <laughs> broke that out, but. 
I think we, we talked what Charlie's about, all about. We talked about some trade for sure. The, just to say on your point, the great thing is that in the free market, both people in a transaction get what they want. Whenever you have the government providing things, and this can go down to everything that the government does at all times, they're not doing it voluntarily, which means they don't actually have to give you something that you value more than the money that they take from you, ever. Because when you go to a coffee shop, you voluntarily give that to them because you value the coffee more, which means if they don't give you a product that you value, you're not going to give them that money. And that, so, real quick, that coffee shop has to prove to you that value. Mm-hmm. They have to, by their reputation, quality of product, right. yeah. they have to convince you. And when the government can take the money from you without your permission whatsoever, they don't have to return you a value, something that you value more than that money. And the government is not on Yelp. They're they're not. There's no reviews for the U.S. government. They would be into the negatives. They would be. Yes, they would not be allowed to be an Uber Uber driver whatsoever. No, one star. Definitely not Lyft at all. No way. (laughs) One of the things that we heard from you guys, we did get a couple emails at info at thebigfreedomshow.com. And uh, which thank you for that. We appreciate it. One of the things that we heard was sort of people wanted to hear where we were coming from and what our individual stories were. Like, why are these three guys rambling on a microphone? And I think, we, you know, this is going to be a little bit of a shorter episode. And we wanted to go through and kind of talk about where we come from and when we found liberty. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> why we believe the things that we believe. And so I'll start if you guys want uh In case you haven't heard by now, this beautiful voice you're listening to is Charlie. (laughs) Uh, I'm one of the hosts here, and I grew up as a kid in a trailer uh, in southern Illinois, a town of only 1,200 people, and I think it maybe has 1,205 people now. And uh, I had a single mom. Uh, my dad lived in Louisiana. I got a great relationship with my dad now, but literally until I was about 19 years old, I didn't... I knew who my dad was, but he was never around. Um, And I started working when I was 12 because I figured out at 12 years old, after I got all the hand-me-downs and I would ask my mom if we could go to McDonald's and she would say, no, we didn't have the money. I figured out if I wanted things in life, I had to take responsibility for that. And I couldn't count on anyone else but myself. So I started working when I was 12. The neighbors, I was lucky enough, the neighbors had a nursery. So I mowed, I mowed their lawn and then I started planting trees for them and taking care of the flowers and, and they paid me what I, I thought I was rich. Did you underbid your first lawn terribly? I pr- probably like $20 for <laughs> I, like I two acres. One, exactly. I did that once and it was like eight hours later, six gallons of gas and there were clumps of grass everywhere. It was terrible. And they and they didn't give me any extra money. They're just like, oh, that was. They your did bid. give me some lemonade, which made it all better. But but I did that, and then I, my first, I guess you would say, real job was at McDonald's. Um, and what I did from there is I just figured out that the best way for me to succeed in life is to take responsibility for my own actions. So I improved my skills, and here we are. I am 29 years old now. And I have started my own business. I've been, you know, mildly successful in that business. And I've worked all kinds of jobs I would have never dreamed of working. Uh, skills that you would not normally uh, learn in a school or anything like that. I played music around the world. Um, I got to live my dream doing that. And so what I'm telling you is I got here because of hard work. And taking that responsibility on myself to realize no one else is going to do it for me. No one else is going to pat me on the back. No one else is going to pick me up. No one else is going to say, hey, Charlie, 
here's uh, some health care and here's a car and here's everything that you desire. You have to go and get that for yourself. So that's why I believe in the ideas that I believe in, because it would have been even easier for me to accomplish what I've accomplished if there wasn't if if the society that we lived in was freer and we had more liberty to go around. Well, I think for me, I sort of found this way of thinking. It was sort of an unconventional route. I'm going to let my age show a little bit here. And uh, I remember back during the 2004 election, I had uh, I had grown up kind of raised in the Republican Party, which was sort of weird for the part of the country I lived in. Everybody was a Democrat. You definitely didn't tell anybody you were conservative at school. That was not a good look. Um, and I had moved to Phoenix from this little town in Kentucky. I had 4,000 people where I grew up and went to a city with, you know, over a million people. And it was this weird thing. And that was kind of when I discovered listening to the news on radio, like talk radio wasn't such a big thing, but I was listening to the news all the time. I had gotten kind of tired of music, which is funny because that's my job. I'm a record producer and also do other stuff in media and marketing. And I, I remember listening to the radio one day and hearing this guy, and he just started, it, it was a presidential candidate. I'm like, oh, this guy's going to be a crackpot. And all of a sudden, everything he was saying just kind of made sense of, you know, I, you were hearing these two, you had, you had Bush on one side and Kerry on the other, and everybody was drawing their lines. And I was hearing everything from, I had friends on one side that I, I would ask, well, why are you, why do you feel this way? And they said, well, because George Bush, he, he prays every day and that's all I need to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sort of realized that's that's not a good reason to uh, to go your way in government. And I heard this guy talking about self-ownership and personal responsibility. And he sort of went into some of the stuff that, you know, we, we weren't taught in school about, you know, okay, why do you have to have a marriage license? Why do we pay taxes? All this stuff that you were just taught not to question because that's the way it was. And that was, at the time, the Libertarian Party's candidate, Michael Budnarik. Um And this was before Ron Paul and all that stuff. Nobody had heard of these guys, and he just made so much sense to me. And it it sort of drew me in, and I started researching and bought the guy's book. I I think I lent it to Nate at one point called Good to be King. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, I do. You still have it? (laughs) I think it was like right when we met, pretty sure. But you didn't take him at his word. You you started researching. Well, and that that was the interesting thing. He actually had a like a 12-hour-long video constitution class. And I'm sitting there reading all this stuff, and I'm like, I didn't learn about that in school. (laughs) What? And and it was just such an earth shattering thing. And then, you know, Ron Paul came around and we, I would say that's when most people kind of fell in love with the idea. And I've been sort of uh, in love ever since and loving personal responsibility and loving what, loving what freedom gives me. That's great, man. I love it. You came to the Libertarian Party a lot sooner than, than, than we did. I guess. A little older, too. Uh, yeah. But it, it was definitely, like, sort of serendipitous, like, listening to the radio because I wanted to hear how awesome George Bush was. Yeah. And, and, by, <laughs> and finding somebody who actually knew what they were talking about. By saying Libertarian Party, I don't mean that we're all big L libertarians right now because yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not a know. big Libertarian yeah. Party member. But <laughs> what the Libertarian Party is supposed to be about yeah. and was about <clears> then, which was, constitu- like, following the Constitution, personal freedom. Yeah. You know, their principles, not exactly the candidates that they put up. Yeah, right. No, no don't dancing be- in your underwear. Yeah. <laughs> we don't believe in parties per se. We believe in principles and, and ideas. So, yeah. Right. Well, my, uh, my, uh, my start was, it sounds kind of similar to Charlie's actually very similar. When you talk about the town, I came from a town, small town of about 
1,200 people. I think it might have about 1,205 by now. I'm not sure. But uh, Charlie and I uh, have gone to the same school since we started going to school. And uh, we, we've known each other for a long time. You think we hate each other by now. Which we should preface. <laughs> we all kind of know each other through yeah. working together at various yeah. levels. You didn't so. even say what you do, John. I, I did say it. No, he I did. said I'm yeah. a record producer. And, and I had the pleasure of producing Nate's hardcore band <laughs> back in the day. He he had great form and wonderful sweater uh, vests. But Nate anyway, and Charlie's. Wonderful. I, I know. I know. He was the front man. You're still <laughs> resentful. <laughs> Charlie was there. <laughs> he was there, but he wasn't singing. He sold his amp to pay <laughs> you one time. <laughs> okay, carry on. Carry on. Carry on. <laughs> that is true. Too much nostalgia. Oh, but yeah, when I was really young, my my parents divorced. Like a lot of people in this country, a lot of their parents are divorced. And this this was a big deal for me because I grew up in two different places. Uh, I grew up in the same town as Charlie during the week going to school. And then I also got to grow up on a farm at the same time. A, a farm in a town of about 150 people, maybe. And um, both those places were trailers. Yeah. And the the big part about that, um, both trailers, that's where I grew up. And actually, I was thinking the other day, I was talking to Charlie. I'm 30 years old right now. And uh, last year... Good I, job. <laughs> thank you. I made it. <laughs> um, last year, I moved into my house here in Nashville. And that is the first time I have ever lived in a house. That's the first time I've ever had a bedroom that didn't have wheels or a trailer frame right underneath it. Um, or it was in an apartment complex somewhere. So this is the first time I've ever actually had, you know, any kind of any kind of house to live in. And, and now I, you run a construction company. Yeah. Now, I, ironically, he, yeah, he I run a construction company. House. There's that thing. Yeah. So I, I started out, um, you know, pretty poor. Uh, my parents they did a great job, and and they, you know, it's a lot different now. But my mom, single mom. Uh, growing up as a school teacher in Illinois, it's not like you really uh, came up with a whole lot of money being an Illinois school teacher there for a while. I remember going to class with her while she was in college, and I used to sit there and just drool all over the desk because I was sleeping the whole time. I, I remember that really, really vividly. Our, our big treat during the week, I think it's right around the time she got a paycheck, we would go to Dairy Queen and get a chicken strip basket. And this is before McDonald's in Vienna, Charlie. This is when there was just Dairy Queen. Oh, you've, you've given yeah. away your location yeah. <laughs> before the uh, before the golden arches yeah. came about. We also Man. should say we all grew up probably within what an hour of each other. Very, very close together. Yeah, all podunk, middle of nowhere, and now we all live in a. Major but city. got into music, uh, started playing music for a long time. Kind of similar to Charlie. I traveled. I've played in forty eight states, I think, and I've I'm pretty sure I've been through fourteen countries now. And uh, that was actually John got to go along with that too. John was uh, our music our producer for my band. And uh, still playing music right now. Also started a construction company. Uh, flipped uh, almost 150 houses in Nashville now. And uh, on top of that, also started this podcast and brought these guys along with me. And uh, I think... We'll sort this out later. <laughs> okay. We'll talk about that later, Charlie guys. left his gloves at home. <laughs> but no, I definitely kind of similar to Charlie. I grew up knowing, you know, especially working on a farm. I started working when I was eight or nine years old going and and feeding the feeding the animals uh driving the tractor when i was really young I, I the first truck i learned how to drive i'm pretty sure was a grain truck that had no brakes and, and i can uh, attest to this because i remember <laughs> pruning grapes with yeah. you charlie has came to help before like 14 or 15 yeah and so there's a lot you learn the value of hard work and you learn that you're not going to get anything unless you unless you work really hard for it and that is something that we've lost in this country uh unfortunately that people 
uh, these days like to sit around waiting for things to come to them. But I know us, our, our values, we all believe that we've got to go. you got to go for it. Whenever you want something, you go and get it yourself. Don't wait for someone else to give it to you. I was having a conversation the other day, and somebody actually told me that you should have a right to have a vehicle because it's a necessity to get to work. <laughs> okay. They don't have legs. And I okay. just— I want to say, do you realize how rich we can are? We, can we chase that down? Because I know we've done this before. You have a right to a vehicle. Okay. What does that mean? Does that oh, mean that if you can't pay for a vehicle that... Who creates the vehicle? Who, Is exactly. It, do you just conjure it? That means that um, you have a right to a vehicle, which means if you don't have the money for it, you still get the vehicle somehow. Now, who, who makes that vehicle for you? And uh, who... So you got a you have a dealership you have to get the vehicle from and I guess they you don't have to give them any money but the dealership got it from a place that I guess now they don't have to give them any money it wasn't for that from vehicle. The government. Yeah, and so I, I think what people are implying is that rich people are supposed to be taxed so much that everyone that there's enough money in the government fund to give everyone vehicles, although there's not even enough money in the government fund to pay for what they're doing right now. Uh, they so, have less cash than Apple. <laughs> absolutely. I think the government, what, what they can run for uh, about about a month or two. It's not even that. No, gotta keep it's like we got to keep those presses running hot, <laughs> real hot. Yeah, it's Caterpillar engines on those things. But this brings me to a point. You know, I saw there, there's always this, uh, or there's this meme going around. I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, Nate, you're not on Facebook, so I know nope. you haven't. But this is there's this guy who's got a motorcycle, and uh, the meme is they ask him a question like, "Oh, instead of buying that motorcycle, like how many children could you have fed?" And he answers it, and he says, "Well, you know, I fed the the factory workers' kids, the guys who made the bike. Uh, I fed the dealerships' kids. You know, I fed the the painters' kids. Like you don't realize in in a capitalist society, just like Milton Friedman, the pencil. How many different people did it take to make a little bitty pencil?" Right, and how many families are you feeding when you purchase a fee, uh, a pencil or purchase a vehicle like that? And how rich have we become, where we where we think we deserve a vehicle to get somewhere? I mean, if you live in the United States, and I don't have the exact numbers, I wish I did, but for the most part, most people have running water, most people have a toilet. You go around the world, and we've traveled around the world. You go around the world in Japan, they you know. Some parts of Japan. Are, are you, hold on, are you going there? In some parts of Japan, they still pee in a hole in the ground. Uh, that, that's everywhere in Japan. Yeah. Yes, I mean some parts in in Asia and you know other parts of the world, like uh, they don't have running water. I have seen people. Uh, we've been to it, Djibouti, it, Africa on our in on the our touring in the ground. We did go to Djibouti, Africa, and I have personally, you know, when you see a kid taking a bath in a, in their dirty like <laughs> yeah. reservoir that reservoir they have over there. They have, I saw someone filling up a bottle out of a mud puddle. You remember and, seeing and that? And then someone who was bathing 15 feet away. Yeah. Which was, I, I, you wish you could just, I hate to say it. You wish you could unsee in, this. In Shibuti, you're, you're rich. If you can somehow find eight sizable sticks to tie together and then some cardboard to put around that. Now the cardboard's hard to come by because that's how they feed their goats. Is and by and giving how they them cardboard. build their houses, yeah. which is, and so, we don't say any of this in jest either. No, this was seriously this, one of the most depressing things I've ever seen. It was seen. very eye-opening. But the the fact that we can be here in America and suggest that a human being 
has the right to a car or health care or health care or anything. Let me tell you something. You cannot have a right to something that someone else has to provide to you. If you have a right to someone else's time and someone else's service, you are saying, to quote Rand Paul, you're saying that you believe in slavery whenever you say that, because you are telling me that regardless of the cost, regardless of what I can do for you in return, you have a right to my service. You have a right to my car. You have a right to whatever it is that you want me to provide to you. And what you're saying is that you you believe in enslaving that person to do your your work. And back to the beginning, that's an involuntary transaction, which is completely immoral and not what this country was built on. And that brings me that or that brings up something in my mind, Nate, when you say that is what does money mean? What what is money, right? Money is only a value. It's a representation of the amount of time I took out of my life to provide labor to a company or goods and services that improves someone else's life. It has to provide other value, right? So that's, let's say you make $10 an hour. Well, your labor, the, the time that you took away from your life to, to do that one hour of labor is represented by that $10 that that company gives you because you perceive that $10 as more valuable than the hour of your life. And that company that you're working for perceives your hour of work more than the $10 that they're giving you. So both become richer. That's also one of the, that's one of the worst things about taxation is whenever you explain what money is and the fact that this is, this is your body, this is your life. This is the time that you get on earth and you're, you're exchanging that time for, for this money in return. And then for someone to turn around and just assume that they own a portion of that money is the same thing as saying that they own a portion of your life and of, of your time on this earth that you, that you gave for that money. And you're confiscating very productive money that's being put to good use for a very unproductive end. Yeah. Um, are, are we going into, into taxation? Possibly this is one of the most important cornerstones of our belief system. The most important of that belief system is that we believe in this very popular phrase that I'm sure you've heard before, taxation is theft. Which you guys have seen it. I My, my three-and-a-half-year-old is very well versed in this. Oh yes, yeah. she knows all she, about this. I'm definitely kind of brainwashing her a little bit. That's okay. The school can try to undo it later. That's, I mean, you're either you're either going to do it or the government's going to do it at school. So, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, so, you know, Reagan, <laughs> I, I do need to bring this up, you know, right after Halloween. Did we talk about this in the last episode? Uh, about, we didn't really go into the ha- no, you know, not I, that, no. Yeah, she uh it was funny because right before bed, right after Halloween, she came to me and said you know, Daddy, do I need to hide my candy from Mitch McConnell? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and I felt like I was doing pretty well. Now, in, in all seriousness, I had shown her a few pictures of Mitch McConnell with a turtle head well, on. And, and she said, you know, Rand Paul's going to save us from Mitch McConnell. So I felt like I was doing pretty well. You deserve some kind of award, I think. For, for She's going to be a good catch later, but I hate anyone who takes advantage yeah. of that. No, but what, what John said about taxes taking money out of the productive side of our economy, imagine anything, you know, if you're a, a business owner or let's, you could even take it down to your household. Whenever you, you make money, you do something, you get, you take care of all of your expenses and you have money left over. 
the best thing that you can do is do other things that you find valuable at that time. And that, that's the best thing for your household. It's also the best thing for an economy and, and for a business. And so when a business makes money, what they want to do is they want to reinvest it. And that's what creates economic growth. And whenever you take, that's the only way that the, the economy actually grows is when a business does well, they hire employees, they take their money and then they reinvest it. They hire more employees and it go, goes on, so on and so forth. Well, what we do is that money that gets reinvested, that creates the economic growth. We just got someone just grabbing money out of it, you know, just putting it in their back pocket and then taking it home. Uh, all, you know, all because they told you that they were going to give you something for it. So, Nate, what are you going to do if, if your company, you guys flip houses, what are yeah. you going to do when you make extra money? Are you going to take on another house or are you going to... Just sit on it. <laughs> well, we it, when we make extra money, we, we normally take on another house. And that's what we do because we want to keep making more money because you don't just make money and then you're like, oh, well, I'll just, I'll just live. I succeeded. I'll just live moving, the rest. It's, a move, yeah. it's the, the proverbial moving goalpost yeah. for sure. You have to continue. You have to reinvest that money and you have to keep growing it. And as we grow it enough, we're going to hire more people. We have an employee now. Uh, last year, we went through about 25 employees and we're going to keep hiring people because that's what you need to keep growing. And Charlie knows the same thing with his business. He's hired people as well. And we... Uh, as business owners, all three of us know that the best thing for our business is to take that profit and to put it back into the business so we can keep growing and keep helping the economy, keep helping people in the area with jobs. And when you take that money out of it and you put it into non-productive uses, you're killing the growth of the economy. You're killing jobs. You're, and that's really what happens every time the government gets involved. They take yeah. it out of what could be more jobs, more productivity, and it just goes away. Or they even what what's even worse than that though they'll take that money and they'll give it to can maybe, it get any worse they'll give it to a large corporation right that gives out you know donations to the candidates so they basically in essence buy votes with that money there there's I'm gonna give a shout out to the Beacon Center of Tennessee which is an awesome free market think tank here and they put out a short film it's called Rigged the injustice of corporate welfare and what this story is all about when you watch this you'll understand the impact that corporate welfare can have where the city or a state or even the United States government takes the taxpayers money and what they do is they get they pick a winner that's going to quote unquote provide jobs and they, that's the way they sell it to the people and what happens in here is this is actually the story about IKEA coming to Memphis and what happened was is that the government gave IKEA like forty million dollars of taxpayer money so they would come were these like tax benefits and and things like that like tax free bonds and that kind of deal or I would have to watch it again but some of it was done that way, yes, but also some of it was just given to them. This like, just sort of reminds me the of the land current, was the fight, given for, to the them. fight for Amazon. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know. And so what you what you see when you watch these kind of things happen is they actually interview all of the other small furniture store businesses and what impact that has on them. Sure, great. Now there's an IKEA, but what if IKEA decides to leave? What if they decide, you know what, this isn't a good market for us, we're just going to leave? Do you think they pay back that $40 million that the government gave them? Which we could also throw this over to sports franchises, too, this, right? Exactly the, the same. You know, the government likes to pick that because the citizens enjoy this as part of their life. And, <laughs> and so they put the bet on that. 
you know, what about all the other people that aren't getting anything from the sports franchises? And look, I mean, the Houston Oilers moved from Houston to the Tennessee Titans, and then you just had St. Louis Rams move to the Los Angeles Rams. So what happens when that entity that took all the taxpayer money because they're going to, you know, boost the economy in that region, then they just leave. Now St. Louis just has a giant, ugly, terrible stadium just sitting right there in the middle of the city that that no one's going to be using. What because are, they, the, are they not using it for anything? The Rams moved to to L.A. Well, I mean, I think U2 plays there once a year. Is yeah, it I concerts mean, they'll, they'll every, concerts. every 40 weekends? Yeah, they'll have, you know, <laughs> motocross. They'll put some dirt in there, and they'll, they'll do some some stuff like that. But um, I don't want to just That is sound, a great return on productive uh, yeah. money. I don't want to just sound like we're just knocking on big businesses for but, being the ones we're, that we're are the benefits of taxes. crony capitalism in Crony general. capitalism is an issue, and that's what happens. Crony capitalism is what happens whenever you give power to the government and the government controls the economy. Economy. You eventually have people who have power or who want power or who have money are going to pay off or give favors for to the people uh, that control the economy. And by that, when we say crony capitalism, just in case that's not something you're familiar with, we're essentially talking about when the government picks winners and losers. So it's capitalism, but the government tilts the scale in, in the direction of somebody that they favor, usually by influence and, and things like that. It's not the business's fault. I mean, anybody who's in that position would do the same thing. I would yeah. do the same thing. Nate, because would, you want to benefit. Everyone is looking out for their own separate interest, right? When, when you, the first priority on your mind is usually your family, yourself, someone close to you. Or if you're a business owner, it's your business. So anybody in that position would do the same thing. The only way to stop that is if government wasn't able to coerce everyone else to to allow or or to actually force that to happen. We need to remember we give the government the power. We allow them to confiscate our resources and that's what we what we go back to about taxation is theft. The government has no power without the power that we give them. But what would these huge corporations be doing without the government to give them the handouts and to give them a leg up on other competition, they just have to compete with all the other businesses and in the area. people would be negotiating with them, and yeah. it would be a better deal for everybody. But what happens when you have the government controlling the economy, they get to come in and say, hey, I'll give you some money for your campaign, and I'll just, you know, just go and vote for this, no if you don't deal. mind. Yeah, no not big a big deal. deal. No, we're not, you don't have to, but I'm going to give you this money for your campaign, and yeah, you go ahead. <laughs> I'm also yeah. I'm also want to give out uh, I want to give a shout out to uh, Los Angeles as well though because the you know the reason why the St. Louis expect Ra- that <laughs> I'm going to and and you know as progressive as you can say California is and as and you know as as much as maybe their ideas don't align with ours there are some good things that happen and and we Anytime liberty or freedom takes place, we want to recognize that because we don't care where you come from. We don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican or Libertarian or maybe you're independent or you don't know. We don't care. What we do care about is the ideas and the messages that you're spreading. In Los Angeles, I'm going to give them a shout out because the reason why the Rams moved to St. Louis to begin with because is because Los Angeles would not give taxpayer money to build a stadium. 
And just to go on what Charlie was just saying, uh, what we care about is everyone to have the freedom and the free market to pursue their own interests and to to make their own lives better. And I think that's what this show is all about. Without, is that we, the, without the we government getting in involved. Absolutely. And th- that's the best way to do it because you have two options. You, you can either be uh, someone at the bottom level and just be waiting for the government to send you a check or waiting for them to give you some money. And guess what? They're going to give you just barely enough money. You're not going to have to work because if you start going to work, then they're not going to give you money anymore. And then you're going to, or you can do what someone like Charlie did, which is just work your butt off and then you can climb that ladder. So whenever you take this this welfare system, the tax system that we have right now, and you start from the bottom it's more than likely going to keep you at the bottom for a longer time. And when you go a more free market solution, a better economic solution like like what we have or like what a lot of other people have, you learn that you have to build yourself up and there's no ceiling. When you're just waiting on government money, there's a ceiling on the money that you're going to be getting. Whenever you're working for yourself, you're doing your own thing, you're making your own money and you're making your own life better, there's no ceiling to that. And that is what we all want right now. We want a free market. We want people to be able to freely control their own lives and control their own destinies because people will bring themselves up out of poverty whenever the market is free and voluntary. And I think what we're talking about really is the actual definition of fairness, Mm -hmm. which that term has been really kind of hijacked and it's used by a lot of people for basically leveling the playing field. But what it what it means, they try to use it as a term for taking money from those that are doing better and giving it to others. We're talking about equal treatment under the law and equal opportunity under the law. And Not equal outcome. No. Equal, equal opportunity. opportunity, which means yeah. no crony capitalism, no picking winners and losers, and no special treatment for anyone. It's basically the law is agnostic to everything. And it's it's finite and defined. And because, look, just to be a little rude here, you know, there are idiots out there. And if you're an idiot, but, but look, <laughs> you have, what we're saying is you have the freedom to be an idiot. If you want to make terrible choices and you, you just want to. And, and we have the freedom to take advantage of idiots. Right. <laughs> I, I would do that. Would you, Nate? Uh, absolutely. I for wouldn't a... <laughs> even think about it. Would you? Not at all. In it, what way are you saying though, John? I don't know. I guess that we saying, have to, we need to define this. I'm just this. saying I've made some idiot moves and people have made yeah. a lot of money off of oh, me. Oh, I've made terrible moves. Uh, yeah. We've known some people, Nate, yeah. you and I, um, some of them are in the media right now. Hey, I got myself <laughs> in so much debt when I was 18. I went into debt for everything. I took out every credit card that came in, every credit N- card Nate came in the mail. was busy trying to pay me I took it. when yeah. he was 18. I was, I took out every credit card I could. I was going to college and by that, I mean, I was taking out loans for college. At an inflated price. At an inflated price. Price, and Nate. then I was using that for guitar amps and stuff. And how much have you used the, the knowledge that you garnered in college for your current <laughs> career that actually pays you a really good good salary? Uh, almost, almost none. The career that I was going for in college, I can, you know, I I definitely am doing better than, than that right now. So it, I did not need that college whatsoever, but I'll be paying for it for a so, while. So let's throw over to a little bit more of a local issue right now. Um one of the things that we saw that just happened here in Nashville, and, and I think this is a good one, it's, it's quick, is that there's a guy named Todd Austin who just had his house burned down in this really now nice neighborhood called East Nashville. 
Um, I've lived in Nashville for 11 years. Um, Nate, I don't know if it was the, you've been here second longest, Charlie, mm-hmm. you're the, the youngest. Oh, we were same time. Same time. Oh, were you guys yeah. same time? Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Sold you Same short. place, same time. Um, It'll be nine years in January. Yeah. East yeah. Nashville, whenever I moved here, you didn't go to East Nashville. No. East, East Nashville was a good place to get shot. And that was about it. Now it's a super trendy neighborhood. Um, and it's in what's called a historic overlay. And there was this, this local guy named Todd Austin. He Worked at a place here in town called Corner Music. He's sort of a community fixture, and and that doesn't have really anything to do with it. But if you see a dude in sequins and hair that probably took three bottles of Aquanet, not the most economical way to go, but it was not him. environmental, not no, environmentally friendly. No, CFCs going off everywhere. It's it's messed up. But um, to get to the story, his house burned down earlier this year. And unfortunately, his house was in something called a historic overlay, which meant that rather than him having control over his own property, a board of people that were certified in historical architecture were actually in charge of this. And so what they said was he received a check from his insurance company for the value of his house. But basically what they said was that he had to refurbish his house rather than just tearing it down. And this guy loves his community. He's been a fixture there. He was kind of the shining light when the the community was still scary, basically, like a good neighbor. And they said that he couldn't just rebuild his house. And he loved his area. And what the guy was proposing, he hired an architect. They built a replica of what he had there. They had the plans drawn for that. And the Historic Commission said, no, you can't do that. You can't (laughs) rebuild the exact building that was already there. I got one question real quick. Did we vote for this historic committee no they're they're definitely oh. appointed and, and oh, you're so ta- they're unelected <laughs> they're essentially intellectuals that, are, that you know your masters in architecture from oxford yeah and and that's the thing and so this guy has owned this property since i don't really know how else to put it since this was sort of the ghetto it was a scary place nobody wanted to live there but i think he, the article said 30 years 30 years okay and he's literally a fixture, been in so many bands, and none of them hugely successful, but the guy, everybody loves him. You don't find any negative things about him. So they said, you can't tear the rest of your house down. It burned down three times. The The government came in, the fire department rolled in, put the fire out. A couple hours later, it sprung back up. It went up again. Um, and then they thought it was out. It went up again. <laughs> and then they finally got it put out. The, the guy lost seven cats, seven of his eight cats. He's wrecked. And they said he got his check from his insurance company. I don't know how much it was. Houses over there are pretty expensive, a couple, two or 300,000 bucks. But they said, you know, you're going to need to save this wood. Huh. So these two by fours are historical. They're about to be covered in drywall, which, Nate, you can appreciate this, but they're historical. And so... He got a bid to rebuild the property without using the excess material that was still there. And the historical commission said, you've got to do this to the tune of an extra $100,000. So uh, is it safe to use wood that uh, was partially burned in a fire? Probably not the best idea. And not only that, one of the things that was brought up by his attorney was that there's no guarantee that the stench of smoke won't even come back into the house. So it was $100,000 cheaper to tear it down to the bricks and rebuild a replica, but they said no. And so a big change.org petition got started, which most of the time those don't mean anything. It's just really an outpouring of support. Um, That petition got started, and apparently hundreds of people showed up to the hearing. That was last night, so this is breaking news. (laughs) And uh, 
What was funny was the argument from the historical commission, and let me see if I can get a quote here, Nate. Let me see. It was a, a contentious hearing, and he didn't actually win. He won by default. So they had to. There were six people on the commission, and he had to get four people to actually win win the commission. But they had to take action by thirty days. Right, and so essentially he won by what we would call like a hung jury almost. There weren't four people, and so his application was automatically approved. Um, and, and what the historic commission said was, uh, sorry, hold on. It, they said economic hardship is not about financial hardship of the property owner, but the hardship of the property itself. So, so essentially what they're saying is that the property has more rights than the actual human being. Right. So Toddzilla owns the property, but... He doesn't have the rights. The building has the rights that burn down. So if you buy a house and it eventually gets zoned into a historic overlay around town, regardless of whether or not you bought the house with your own money, you own the property, uh, they can essentially tell you what to do. If one more person, if one more person would have voted for that, then they could have cost him an extra hundred thousand dollars. Well, and not only that, he said he didn't have the extra hundred thousand dollars, and yeah. the community really rallied around him. They raised thirty some thousand dollars on GoFundMe. That's what I love. Almost almost forty thousand. It was that like once again last night. I think market, it was thirty nine thousand people voting with their wallets right there. But yeah, essentially they said, look. It doesn't matter about you. You own this. We don't care about you. We care about the building. This is what we're not about on the Big Freedom Show. <laughs> and this is what happens locally. And and to kind of wrap this whole thing up is we're, what we're saying is that government, we give government too much power. And what we want to do is we want to stir a movement to generate freedom and liberty to take back that power and, to and the people. you made a big note here. We give government too much power. Government has no power. They have no money without us. Right. And, and it's so, up to us to keep that in check. So to, to circle back to the very beginning, what we want to do here at the Big Freedom Show is we want to keep stirring that movement that says, hey, look, we don't want to give the government, the power to do these things anymore. We want to be more free and more prosperous. And to do that, we've got to start making waves. We've got to start getting involved. So we want to thank you guys for listening to tonight's episode of The Big Freedom Show. Please send us an email at info at thebigfreedomshow.com. A couple of you guys did it last week. We really appreciate it. We want any and all of your feedback. It's super helpful at this point. We're trying to figure out what you guys want to hear. And also, we are literally on every single podcast medium you could think of. Stitcher, even YouTube. Yeah, YouTube, Google Play. iTunes. iTunes. Podcast. So, guys, check us out. Tell us what you think. Uh, send us some more feedback. We love it. And thank you to Nate for remembering the whiskey of the week. <laughs> That's all we got, guys. Take care, and we'll see you next week. 